We really want to hear from you. Do you know how easy it is to contact us? We're on Twitter and Facebook at Wildcat Dojo. Our webpage is wildcatdojo.com. On Instagram, Wildcat Dojo Conversations. And on email, dojoconversations at aol.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to another show. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And again, no Landon. I don't know what we're going to do about this kid and his busy life. I don't know. But it doesn't matter because we're on episode number two with, I think I'm safe to say, our friend. Sure. And an outstanding martial artist, Hachi Stephen Malinowski. Here I come to save the day. Hachi <laughs> Malinowski's on the way. Ah, I was going to sing Mighty Mouse. You need to go back and listen to our episode two weeks ago. If you want to hear the first half of this interview, I am just so incredibly pleased to be pushing on with this conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay, Sensei. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up with coming back to America after your time in the military and karate training at that time. So when you got out of the military and came back to the United States, that was uh, what year? 1983, the first time. Yeah, I went back and forth. I was in the Marine Corps two different times, but yeah, the early 80s. And did you notice differences in the way training was in the New York area when you came back from before you left? What do you think about that? I'll tell you one thing on an interesting note that I noticed. When I left the United States with the Marine Corps, uh, and I was away originally, the first time I, I, I shipped out of, uh, out of the country, uh, I was away for three years. And when I came back, well, actually, when, when, I, when I was discharged the first time, uh, everybody had been promoted to ranks that were uh, very surprising. When I went in, guys that wore wrenchy belts were, that was something that everybody just looked forward to being able to get sometime in their life, and that was as high as you ever thought. Or maybe you had visions of yourself being an old man or an old woman wearing a Kiyoshi belt. But, man, I came out of the Corps the first time, it was, uh, what, 1982, 83? And um, heck, there was pages and pages in the in, in the Urban Speaks newsletter of uh, everybody was either a eighth, nine, or a tenth done. It was amazing. So many new styles had, had had come up. That was the big thing. And I'm not saying that people didn't deserve whatever it is that they got because you got your rank in the same place that I got mine. However, the question I believe was uh, how were things different? That was yeah, that was very different. different. Yeah, the whole dynamic of the ranking system was totally. Uh, Different, yeah, metamorphosized to something. So else. in 1983, I was a brown belt, and I absolutely remember Master Clayton talking about that phenomena. I remember, really? Yes. In those days, the dojo was very small, half a dozen people. I would say half a dozen guys, but I was one of them, so am I allowed to be one of the guys? Sure, why not? Okay. Half a dozen guys in Master Collegian, so everybody heard the conversations. I totally remember that happening in 1983. Now, did you start a dojo up right away, or did you train... I think what you said is you trained back and forth between here and Okinawa for a while. Yeah, I had a dojo. I had multiple dojos when I was in the Marine Corps. Students of mine had dojos back home, you know, in New York and New Jersey. And when I first got out, the first dojo I opened up out of the military was uh, at the VFW in a place called Guttenberg. Guttenberg is uh, in between the Lincoln Tunnel and the George Washington Bridge, blocks away from the Hudson River on the Jersey side. Guttenberg was um, an early hub of uh, 
boxing and professional wrestling back in the old days when, when Jack Dempsey was fighting and stuff. Oh, you know? wow. It's a town that's got a bar on every corner and a liquor store in the middle of every block. <laughs> and uh, one of my students was, uh, uh, he had grown up with the guy that was currently the uh, the head of the fire department, the chief, chief of the fire department. And uh, he lived across, he had a candy store across the street from the VFW, which I knew nothing about. You know? I was invited to come there, and lo and behold, it looked like Masoyama's dojo. I had 20-foot ceilings and, and, and tongue and groove wood floors. And oh. uh, I, I had just come back from Central America, so I was a young Marine combat veteran, and the VFW consisted of World War II and Korean War vets, who actually it was a bunch of really nice old guys that were always in the bar in the basement, and they didn't use this big building that they gave me for $35 a month. Oh. And uh, yeah, yeah. And at the time, uh, I, I had developed a reputation. I, I had just come back, and uh, I had I, a ton of students that I taught in this beautiful place right off the Hudson River for $35 a month. I was charging almost nothing, though. I, had I had a business mind back then, I could have made a fortune. But um, <laughs> no, it didn't happen. So when you started running your own dojos when you got back from the military, what are the big memories that stand out from the standpoint of teaching or maybe uh, Master Irving coming to visit you or any of those kind of cool ideas? Well, I mean, uh, at that particular time, since it was uh, semi-retired, you know, he still fought with it. Was that the mid-80s when he was semi-retired? Yeah. And he did a lot of traveling, too. He went to Italy for a while and he came back. He had a lot of arthritis and a lot of people didn't know it, but he had cancer. He was going through that on his own. Most people that are not older, that say they trained with Sensei, must have trained with Sensei in that particular period of time. Get-togethers once in a while, and, you know, uh, it wasn't the daily crazy hours and hours and hours of classes and running barefoot literally in the snow uh, across the street in the parking lot where my mom would freak out when I got home and uh, hear her on the phone screaming, Peter! Yeah, but um, I was blessed when I got out of the Corps the first time they opened up the school, I had students that wanted to come to this guy, this recon ranger guy that was out of his mind and learn all of this killing techniques. This is them thinking about it. Of course. And uh, so I had a bunch, for the most part, of teenage and in their 20s, tough kids from New York and New Jersey in my dojo. It was fun. Yeah, and that sounds Even fine. my kids' class, these were kids from the streets, you know, and uh, they were a bunch of nice kids, but these kids were from the city, and it was hardcore. This was right when they started making you have to have equipment to fight in the tournaments. We never used equipment. Urban didn't believe it. It was bare knuckle. So I remember, I vividly remember, I had this band of these tough kids and adolescents and early 20s guys that were all, you know, they were crazy enough to listen to what I told them. And um, it, it enabled me to have a, a dojo that we, I was very proud of. And I, I do remember going to a tournament. Shihan David Washington, a friend of mine, at the time, I didn't know him that well. He was running a, a tournament in Brooklyn, you know. And I showed up with 20 students, ready to rock and roll. We had a lot of the toughest schools in New York, New Jersey, the area. Next thing you know, they had Al Gote running the Black Belt League, writing down the charts on the blackboard. And, and they announced that safety equipment is mandatory. Excuse me! <laughs> Ain't nobody in my school owns any of that. We were lucky we had cups and mouthpieces. So I raised my hand at the Black Belt meeting and I said, what if they don't have it? And you know what they said? Oh, can't so 
at the end of the meeting, we all got up and we were going to leave, you know, and I walked over and I said, hey, we need to get our money back. We don't have any here. And they said, well, you can leave, but we can't give you the money back. It's already gone. So uh, we had to make friends with all the other schools. And, uh, you know, luckily I've been around since day zero. So people either knew me or knew who I was. And we were able to uh, connive people into lending us their sweaty equipment so that we could fight. But uh, things have changed, you know what I mean? Yeah, we're things have changed. I remember back in the day, you scored a point in the tournament. They would, yummy! And they would say, judges, score. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And they would write you to a yeah. slow pirouette and start pointing to different people. And then you would have to demonstrate that technique yes. as you were calling it. And then when I, when I came back from, uh, from Okinawa, this new rule was when they said judges score, everybody had to point at, at the one same time. time. You know, and the Wugo, the Wugo thing, they use the flags. Right. Right. Now that's good and bad. You know, the red and the white, that's, that's traditional. You know what the problem with that is though with me? I don't know if you have that problem. I always throw the wrong flag. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then you gotta, yeah, oh no, no, wait a minute. And then, I really meant red. That's funny. That's a great story about your guys in the borrowing gear. Uh, and it is still to this day a problem of having enough gear. That's it. definitely is. So if you listen to episode one, you know that Hanshi Melanowski met Peter Urban when he was only eight years old in 1968. Now I think he gave you rank way before you went off in the military when you were still a kid. Okay, you have to understand that although I trained with a lot of teachers, that's what I did. I didn't play any sports. I wasn't involved. I got thrown out of the Cub Scouts, by the way. I'll tell you that later <laughs> on. I, so, like, my only extracurricular activity was the dojo or the dojo is up. I learned everything there was to know from my dad from, you know, day zero, but, you know, formally started in 1965. Now, in Jiu-Jitsu, classical Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, Shobu they don't have the Q-down ranking system like they do in Karate. You got Oku Iri, you got Shomoku Roku, you got Moku Roku. These are different titles that they have, scrolls that you've attained through the techniques that you've learned. So the Oku Iri, that was like being a, a black belt. There was no Shodan Ho. That's all, that's new. So I became Oku Iri and I was ju a junior black belt when I was 12 years old. And uh, that was recognized because at the time I was a brown belt in Karate. Nice. So uh, I got that. I was a junior black belt until I was uh, 17, 18, 17. And then I was automatically promoted to Sanda. Wow. And, yeah. Well, I mean, three years in between. Yes. And, uh, and a lot I, of experiences. That's 17, yeah, because no, I want, I, when I left, not when I joined the Marine Corps, but when I, when I was shipped overseas, uh, I, I was promoted to the fourth time. I received my fifth time in Okinawa. Renshi actually was in Nahate, Nahate Temple, and uh, Grandmaster Urban recognized that it was a better than his tap. Okay. I was a fifth on incidentally for 11 years. <laughs> I, I received my rank at an early age. Now I'm 61 years old. So I'm a 61 year old 10th on. My age makes sense now. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? Whereas, believe me when I tell you, like I said, they, they kept me at fifth on for 11 years. Me and Grandmaster Wilfredo Rodan both were fifth down for 11 years because we got our ranks early and not everybody got tortured the way that we did. You know what I mean? It wasn't, <laughs> well, you know. I might know what you mean. I imagine you did. <laughs> I knew you did very well. So, Hanji, we, we've talked to you about time with your father and uh, your military and, of course, the time that you spend in Goju. But for people who are training now, what would you say to them? It's a different world from when you started. Yeah. 
everybody takes martial arts for different reasons. And people that have longevity in their martial arts career uh, definitely find their niche, what they're doing is suiting their purposes. What are, you, what are you getting out of it? Why? What do you want to get out of it? If sport is where, where your mind is, well, then golly gee, there's plenty of places that, you know, are really, really good at that. I, myself, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough. I'm training them for real, real combatives, and we had a good sports team, too. Uh, I had a lot of committed people that enabled me to, to do that. But um, it doesn't always work out that way. So you know, I mean, it's what what do you what do you want to get out of it? And if you if you know what you want to get out of it, and you choose wisely, then you know you you definitely can glean a lot from it. You know, yeah, but you'll find a dojo you, that matches you. You you have to know what it is you're looking for. Martial arts is something that uh, could very well keep you alive in many many different ways. You know, whether it be health wise or uh, health wise, either meaning your body or keeping yourself alive as you're walking down the street. A martial arts education, or as you know, Grandmaster Urban had a very uh, plebeian way of, of saying it, that which was very endearing. He would say, uh, "Knowing how to fight real good." Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. if, uh, if God forbid you never have to use the physical part of it, but you know, especially for—I mean, I was about to say, especially for young people, but even for older people. I agree yeah. with that. I think I, I work with a lot of older people. I am an older people. And I work with a lot of older people and, and they absolutely 100% benefit from all the aspects because you've got the confidence, you've got to an extent some patience. And the awareness that these things are going on is seeing the 360 around you. And that's on top of the techniques themselves. Grandmaster yes. Urban used to always tell us that when you, uh, when you walk into a room, see everything, look at nothing, meaning a, a peripheral view of uh, you know, using this... Uh, Motion mentality of not you're not thinking about anything in particular. You're right. not focusing on anything, but you're taking it all in. Uh, That's good advice. That's Thank good you. advice for all of us at all times. Huh? All right, let's finish up with a good story from your time in Okinawa. Okay, picture it. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, 1980, and I was uh, doing my daily routine. I had a 15-speed uh, Nishiki racing bike. And um, it was my way of getting around the island. You know, Okinawa is only 60 miles long. You can go from one end to the other. It's going to take you. I mean, you start early in the morning. It's going to take you all day. So, you know, it's not like you can get from one side to the other in no time at all. But if you you got a good bike and you, uh, like me, you have a limited uh, uh, knowledge of, of kanji reading, you can uh, have the most interesting uh, experiences. Uh, that's why I found a lot of dojo. So anyway... I'm going up this thing called Snake Hill on my 15-speed Nishiki racing bike. There was this old man that I used to pass every single day. And whenever I would pass him, I used to hear, <laughs> Now, you know, I could dig it. Here I am. I got my Marine Corps T-shirt on and my pork chop haircut. And uh, I'm driving by. And he, he's old enough to probably be looking at me thinking I'm one of the guys that killed his uncle during World War II or something, you know, keeping in mind the Marine Corps in World War II invaded Okinawa. Yes, they did. Okay. Um, anyway, so every day when I drove past, I would get, <laughs> so um, one day I had enough, you know, I noticed that he was drinking. He would have like a six pack or a case of beer sitting in front of him. He'd be sitting on the stoop in front of this very Okinawan style house, you know, I looked and I saw what kind of beer he was drinking. I went to the store a couple of blocks down. I bought him a case of the beer and I put it on the seat of my bike and walked my bike back to his house. And I took a chance, you know, I walked into his yard and 
set the beer down in front of him and I bowed to him. I didn't think he was going to understand anything I said. You know, I said, look, I know what you're thinking. I'm very sorry for what happened to your friends and your family. And please understand that I love and respect the Japanese culture. And uh, I'm only here just to, to learn. And I bowed again. And as I walked away, I heard, whoa, I know you is people you don't like, right? People you don't, you don't like black people. He speaks English. I turned around and I was like, I got a lot of my friends are black. What are you talking? Well, you know, you like, you don't like people. So I don't like you. <laughs> you know, and then I'm ready to walk away. He goes, why you come? Why every day? Why you come? Every day. You look for Okinawa girl. And I'm like, of course. But that's, I, I, you know, that was one of the benefits of driving around with your bike. At that age, I was going to meet a girl sooner or later. Um, no, I was looking for karate dojo, and I told him that. I said, no, I'm, I'm searching for karate dojos. He said, oh, you karate man. I said, yeah, he grabs my hand, he's checking out my knuckles and makes smirks, you know, and uh, what style are you? He's asking me all these questions. He said, uh, you come back, 7 o'clock, I show you karate dojo. I show you karate sensei. Cool. So I went and got some yakisoba, which is uh, these noodles, you know. Some chicken yakisoba, and I'm hanging out, drinking that beer. And come back, and I come to the yard, and he comes out, and he's like, grabs me by my 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 sleeve, and he's like, "Come on!" We walk through this hallway in his house, and going through his backyard. There's a big barn back there, you know. You go in the barn, and there's a dojo. And I'm thinking, "Oh shit, this guy's got a dojo in the back of his house. That's interesting." He said, "Karate sensei, come now." He walked out about. 20 minutes later, he came walking in. He's wearing this faded black gi with a red belt, and it was him. Oh. His name was Hanso Arakaki. From that moment on, I became the student. That's how I met Grandmaster Arakaki from Nahate Temple. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a, a, an amazing story to me. The, uh, Love it. See, there's dojos in Okinawa that are not commercial. Now there's more commercial dojos in Okinawa than ever. But when I was there, most dojos in Okinawa, they didn't speak English. They might have had somebody in the dojo that did, but the teachers, for the most part, they did not speak English. Mm -hmm. You know, if you went there and wanted to learn karate, that was a great place to go. However, I mean, you could follow along and you could learn. I mean, these guys know how to teach you without being able to tell you, talk to you. Right. But you're not going to learn the history, mm -hmm. the philosophy, and the what's and wherefores and whys, because right. a lot of those techniques are done according to a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And... You can't pick that up by talking to somebody that can barely tell you left or right. Okay, so nowadays it's different. Nowadays, because of so many people coming there, not just from the military, but from everywhere, now it behooves them. Okay, the, go back to the meeting of um, Shihan Arakaki. Yeah, Arakaki. Um, How long were you together? I trained with him face-to-face -face for three years. Usually you go to Okinawa for one year, and then you rotate back to the States or somewhere else. I put in an AA form and got special dispensation what the first year for the second year. They had different instructors for different battalions for close quarter combat and I was one of those. I had to re-enlist. Wow, to get that year. third year? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got that as part of my contract. Yeah. That's, That's a really, cool thing. Uh, That's a really well, nice it's a cool thing and it's not. I mean, I had to ramp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was with Arakaki for three solid years of physical one-on-one -on -one training, and then you know at that time when I was when I when I was stationed in Okinawa, I would there were times when for training purposes we would go to Thailand. So we I was able to do some Thai kickboxing. Mm -hmm. um, 
we, I was either in the Philippines for schools, or then for a while when uh, Ferdinand Marcos was president, I was over there as part of the police action in a place called Mindanao. So that was that enabled me to train in the Philippines. I spent the bulk of my time training with my, you know, my actual sensei, which was Arakaki, but, you know, he didn't care. They, he encouraged me to go work, you know, and the Marine Corps enabled me to, I mean, I, you know, mainland Japan, where I got to meet all, Masutasu Oyama, I got to meet Gogen Yamaguchi. That's really cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Very, very uh, fun. A, a litany of, of names that I've only read, and, and they're alive because of you. Well, yeah, they, you know, the, um, I was at the right place at the right time. Sensei Urban likes to, used to like to say that a lot. And, and you know, with me, growing up in the New York, New Jersey area, that's where the guys that first brought this stuff over here. Yeah. That's where yeah. they were. Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, and if you knew my dad, and if you knew Sensei, then you're going to be able to know and meet all these all other these people. Other people. Yeah. Uh, Right place at the right time. You that know, sounds like really some place. great more adventures that we could come and hear about. That's so true. All right, Cynthia, I'm going to have to call it because we're going to run out of time. Well, it was always a pleasure. Thank you. But for I appreciate, time. I very much appreciate you having us in your house, yes. which down here in Miami Beach, he's a lucky guy. This is an awesome place. And thank you for spending the afternoon with me. Thank you, my pleasure. Os. Os. See you next time. And I'm signing out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again on Wildcat Dojo Conversations. It's time for Honor, Honor Athletics, of course. Please, make Honor Athletics your go-to store for all your karate needs. And, and more. more. You guys are in unison there. <laughs> Call or text 770-945-5150. Or go online at honorathletics.com. And remember to use Wildcat Dojo for your 10% discount. Thanks in advance for supporting our sponsor, Cynthia. And thank you, Cynthia. I agree with that. Us. <laughs>